We, we just looked at the first uh, five of those verses, um, but now I want to pick up on verse six and read to the end of the first chapter. Chapter one, verse six through to the end. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let that person be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let that person be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any human source, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Kephas, or we would perhaps call him Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. And then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. When I was reading through that, the verse that caught my eye and the verse that I wanted to, to think through that passage with you through the lens of was verse 10, where Paul asks the Galatians, am I trying to win human approval or God's approval? Am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. What I'm trying to do in reading Galatians with you is trying to ask the question, how does reading this letter help us with the problems that we face rather than just understanding the problems that they faced? For the problems that they faced in some ways would replicate our own, but in other, word, in other ways are quite different than what we would face. So how does Galatians help us? When I was looking at that verse, it was that sense of... How does Galatians help us to become free from the need for constant approval by others? Do you understand what I mean by that? That sense of that ongoing need for other people to think you're all right. For other people to give their approval to you. 
for other people to say yes? And does Galatians help us? There's been times when I found myself in that sort of, um, in that place. Times when I've searched for other people to tell me that I'm doing okay. There's times when I felt really insecure doing something. So I've done this sort of stuff at the front of a church like this for 30 odd years, but you don't understand perhaps many of you. I can look like I know what I'm doing, but inside it is sometimes that feeling of the, the, the swan that looks serene on the outside, but actually... And so sometimes you might understand, and my life is not exactly like yours in this context because of my job, but that sense of when I sat down at the end of any time I presented anything, anywhere, there's a voice in my head going, well, that wasn't very good, was it? Constantly. And what then it's easy to look for is me to ask Faye, was that okay? Now, it only takes Faye to go, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And that's a weak wrecked. Do, do you understand that feeling, if not the particular context? And then there's sometimes when I search for that approval from people I really admire. So there, they, they matter more. There's sometimes I search for it from people I think disapprove of me, longing for some flicker of approval from the people I think disapprove of me. And uh, again, my life is not, uh, uh, this is not, this is not a therapy session, although it's beginning to sound like one. But you don't know how some of you are natural, when your face is at rest, your face naturally is in a smile. I love people like you, because I don't care what's going through your mind, I just imagine you're really happy. And there's others of you for whom it's not like that. And, um, <laughs> And uh, it's easy to imagine disapproval. And you look for approval from people that you fear disapprove of you or when you fear insecure. Sometimes I've met it in other people when they haven't had a sense of approval and, and you can see the significance of how that leaves them feeling rubbish. And over the last few years, what surprised me most of all is in my work, the work that I've been doing in London with a team of people who are brilliant, actually. They're brilliant people. And uh, the numbers of times when I've realized I see what they need is my approval. And I forget, because I think, you're brilliant. But they keep looking and going, am I doing okay? And it's like, you, you, you're 60 years old, you're brilliant. That's not always the case, by the way. Just getting to 60 isn't always being brilliant. But, and the need that they have for someone to say, you're doing okay. So this idea of approval, it strikes me, it's just a feature of being human. And that's why the greatest gift we give to one another is when we give the chance to someone else to go, I think you're doing great. That's why when you send a card to someone and say, when you did that, it just made so much of a difference. Or when you buy them a bottle of wine, you go, this is for nothing except to say thank you for who you are and what you do. For the times when you follow through, for the times when you say you made a difference, for the times you sent flowers, it makes all the difference. But the danger becomes when your 
search for approval becomes a craving that almost won't let you go. So what's going on with these Galatians? Let me remind you. If you weren't here last week, I'm telling you. If you you were, I'm reminding you. These people in Galatia, in Turkey, had come to know Jesus. Their background had been one of superstition. They'd they'd worshipped idols. I talked about the evil eye. You might remember the medallion, that evil eye that you see in in supermarkets everywhere over in the Mediterranean. And they'd been delivered from things like that. And they'd met in Paul, someone who came and told them the good news of the gospel, that Jesus sets you free from the fear of the future, which is actually what superstition does, isn't it? It's like, how do I control my own life? And Paul came and said, actually, the gospel is good news because if you trust the one who died for you your future is safe no more of this wondering whether you're going to be okay no more of this wondering whether life will be fine actually trust the one who is the Lord but people came along and they said uh, people who'd grown up Jewish and they came and they said to the Galatians your problem is you're the outsiders they actually by implication, we're saying, you don't really belong to us. You're outsiders. But if you want to belong to us, then we want to give you some rules to follow. Because then you can really be part of us. So, you guys, you need to get circumcised. All of you need to follow different food laws. All of you need to follow different patterns of the week and holy days and that sort of thing. And it was leaving them absolutely upside down. And that's why when we were reading that, I don't know if it felt like this but as you were listening to it, but <clears throat> in that early part of the reading where Paul was saying, if anybody preaches you another gospel than the one you heard first, let that person be cursed. It was kind of like even worse than that. He went on and he said, even if an angel came and said, even if you saw this big revelation that going, no, no, you're not good enough. No, Paul's angry, really, because what he's hearing are people being told, you're not good enough. And in order to be good enough, in order to be included, you have to do certain things. And so what Paul does is Paul begins this letter by telling his own story. So in verse 11, all the way through to the end of the chapter, Paul just outlines his story. Why? Because Paul knew what it felt like to be an outsider. Think about it for a minute. Paul was not one of the 12. So when Jesus was, uh, before Jesus uh, died and rose again, he uh, brought around himself 12 people, 12 men, And they would be known as the apostles. They would be the one with authority. They would be the one that would go out and establish the kingdom of God through churches and through the preaching of the gospel. They were the ones that had been with Jesus. They were the ones who, and perhaps human nature has not changed at all, it would be very tempting for them to go, well, of course, we knew Jesus. You want to know what Jesus said? Well, talk to us, because we know. We were with him. We know and this would be the great thing, wouldn't it? We know what his accent was like. We know the jokes he told. We know the stories he loved and told more than once. We were there when he did the miracles. We were there. Come and talk to us. 
And Paul comes along and Paul has this experience on the Damascus Road where he is a, has an encounter with God and he meets Jesus. And every time Paul writes, Paul has to remind people, because people are fickle, and it would be easy for them to go, yeah, Paul's all right, but he's not as good as Peter, is he? Because Peter was there. So Paul kind of knew how it felt to be an outsider. Yeah, you're good, Paul, but you're not that good. Yeah, Paul, we trust you, but not as much as we trust those who have been with him. The other thing about Paul was Paul had been this uh, brilliant brilliant Jewish teacher. He'd been trained by the best. He'd been advancing in Judaism beyond his years. He was like the golden boy of the Jewish uh, faith at that time. And then he changed and he became a Christian. And I don't know whether it's still the case, but there's a suggestion that perhaps his very brilliance put some people off. Do you ever get that yourself when you meet a really clever person? A really clever person. I mean, a brain the size of a planet. And you're desperately finding something wrong about him. This is an awful confession to make, but I'm going to tell you about somebody. I'm not going to tell you who it is, so you can't pass it on. There's a brilliant theologian that has meant so much to it me and has changed my thinking on so many things and brilliant writer brilliant speaker he's like one of those really annoying people in my world but I found out his house is a tip (laughs) it was the best news I'd ever heard (laughs) do any of you sort of know what I'm talking about (laughs) Not about your house being a tip, but Paul's an outsider. Paul had tried to destroy the church. Paul had a revelation from Jesus. Paul was open to the charge that you're only saying it like this because you've heard it from someone else. And so Paul says, I know what it feels like to be an outsider, so let me tell you my story. And this is what he did. He said, God showed me, verse 13 and 14, that I'd been wrong. You've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, and it's like Paul, and he'll do this, and we'll talk about this next week, but Paul outlines and he says, that way of life that I thought I was so highly valued, I was wrong. That's not what God really valued. He said, I realized that God had accepted me when God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being because what he realized was I had a future. Verse 16. So re- I, I, the, the future for him was to preach among the Gentiles And then in 22 and 24, he said, I realized I had a purpose. I went to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. 
what Paul's doing there. In telling his own story, he's doing two things. He's saying, look, I know what it was like to be an outsider, and I want you to know that what happened to me is what's happened to you. God has made a difference in my life, and God has made a difference in your lives. And in between all of it, he's saying, and I didn't get it from other human beings. I didn't look for their approval. God did something. God broke in. God's the big part of my story. And he finishes by saying, people praise God because of me. If you don't have that sense in your own life, then actually what you're left with is fear and then you're always looking for other people's approval. You're always looking for other people's approval. You're always looking for other people to go, no, you're brilliant, you. And it'll never be enough. What Paul had come to, and this, this is my paraphrase, not Paul's words. What Paul realized was that he had been set apart, that he was loved, that he was Christ's, that he was the beloved. And the thing about Christianity is this. If you don't come to a moment where you hear that being said over your life, you enter into a religious life where you're always trying to please either you're trying to please God or you're trying to fit in or you're trying to please other people. The fundamental change that happens in our encounter with Christ is when you hear the voice of God saying, you are my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. You are my son, I love you. When Paul writes to Timothy, Later in life, he says, I'm looking forward, Paul says, to the day when I hear God say over my life, well done, good and faithful servant. You've run the race. Now that voice that Paul was longing for in eternity is the voice that speaks over you now. It's not like God waits till you get to a certain age and you, you go and be with him to go, right, now I'll tell you what I feel about you. That well done, good and faithful begins the moment you go, yes, Lord. Can you hear the voice of God speaking over your own life going, well done, well done, well done. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for 50 years. Did you really think it would only be in the next 20 that you'll ever hear God say, well done? No, for 50 years, the Lord has been saying over you, well done, good and faithful servant. You're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter. If you can hear that and if you can live with that, it puts other voices into perspective. It's not that they don't matter, they do matter, but it puts them into perspective. Does that make sense? I do need other people to go, well done, Neil. But actually, if I'm pinning all my hopes on that voice, this is what I suggest. Living life while looking for constant approval is like trying to quench your thirst by drinking salt water. It just never will do it. And Paul writes to the Galatians, these people who were under pressure from other people coming in and saying, you're all right, but you're not good enough. And Paul says, no, you are because of the gospel. You are because actually what's happened in my life is what's happened in your life. God has broken in. 
And what happened in Paul's life and what happened in the Galatians' life is what God has done in our lives and what God wants to do in our lives. And there's a sense in which to get this, you've kind of got to die to some stuff and you've got to live for other stuff. And one of the things you've got to die for, die to, is this sense of everybody else's approval. It's living for him. Well, I'm coming to an end, and when I get to the end, I think what I'll do is I'll just ask what's going through your head. So it'd be brilliant if some of you could begin to think about something. But this is where I want to come to. And this is, this is just my own reflections, really. When I'm drawn back into looking for approval because I don't feel good enough, this is what I try and do. The first thing is I accept it may not come. Sometimes when I'm looking for approval from some people, I just have to accept it's not going to come. And that the approval I get may not be from the people I want. Do you remember when you were a spotty teenager and uh, you were heartbroken because the person you had a crush on just ignored you? And you went back and you told your mum and your mum went, oh, never mind, you're lovely. It was never good enough, was it? Because <laughs> the person who gave you that approval wasn't the one you, you wanted that person you had a crush on. There's some things actually in life you just have to accept. Some people that you look to, to for approval will not give it you. And it almost, you have to break the obsession from looking it from them. And this is really hard and it's always very personal. But that would include for some folks, sometimes, it would include those people who are in your family who are the closest. It would involve your parents sometimes. You can spend a whole lifetime looking for a parent to go, we think you're brilliant. And they may never do that or a colleague, or a friend, or someone you know, and they just may never do it. And there's something quite releasing about going, they're never going to do it, so I'm going to stop looking. The second thing I do is I try and preach the gospel to myself. What I mean by that is I have an altar call and I go forward. No, what I mean is... (laughs) What I mean is I explicitly remind myself of the gospel I believe to be true. The thing that changes me is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him, trusts in him, will not perish. And I put my name there and I go, God so loved, and I know it sounds a bit naff, but God so loved Neil that he sent his only son. I preach the gospel to myself for it's the gospel that delivers me. It's not with all the love and the respect in the world. It's not about just a different way of thinking about stuff. It's actually the gospel that I need. It's the good news of Jesus. The third thing is, I accept I'm incomplete. I need other people around me. I can't do everything. I'm not everything. I'm not everything I would wish to be. I'm not everything that other people would wish me to be. I accept that I'm incomplete. And I accept because I'm incomplete, I need other people around me. And the fourth thing I try and do is I remind myself of the truth about myself. The truth is, I'm not as good as those who praise me say. I'm not as bad as those who criticize me say either. I'm much more complex. 
And if you're just living for the praise of other people, they don't know you enough. And you're not that good. (laughs) But if you are fearful of the criticism of others all the time, you're not that bad either. You're much more complex. And I remind myself of who I am in Christ as a child of God. And I try and do this. This is from 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter, uh, Peter is writing to a church or a group of churches who are trying to work out what it means to live in a culture that was uh, complicated at times. And he gives the story of Jesus. Not just the Jesus who died and rose that we might be free, although Of course, that's true. But he gives the story of Jesus as an example that you should follow in. Chapter 2, verse 21, this is what he writes. And he's writing to people when you're having a hard time. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who truly judges. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And what Peter is saying is, in the midst of the time when you're being accused of stuff that you may or may not have done, when people are out to get you, how do you keep your equilibrium? You entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. The Galatians were under the danger of craving the opinion and the approval of others. And Paul comes in and goes, don't look there, look at the cross. If you keep looking there for other people to continually tell you you're doing okay, you will, it is like drinking salt water and trying to quench your thirst. It's never ending. Look to the cross. The cross and the voice of the Lord that goes, you're mine. So here's my question. Am I just preaching to myself this morning? Or does this make sense to anybody else? <laughs> what were you thinking? What, what comes to mind as you're listening, as you're reflecting? There's Jill at the back. If you can, do you want to do the your bit? Hi, I was with a friend last night, and uh, she's struggling at the moment because she's feeling that she's being bullied at work by one of her uh, colleagues. Uh, and I said to her, she's a Christian, and I said to her, you know, this person has said this about you, and they've said that about you. But what does God say about you? What, who does God say you mm. are? Because that's what you need to know. You need to know what God's saying about you. That's a good reminder. Someone else, what are you thinking? There's Lorna. There's a verse just came to mind that um, I've used over the years to sort of remind myself of how much God does love me. And it's in Zephaniah, so it's probably not a place that we'd often look. But it says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty saviour. He will delight over you with joy. He will quiet you with his love 
and he will dance for joy over you with singing. I just love that. I love the verses, and it's just such an encouraging verse to go back to when you're feeling a little bit like you're rubbish or you've failed or you're not doing as well as you'd like to do. Particularly because, you know, it's, it's in a context where the people of God weren't always great, but the prophet comes and says, but that's how God feels about you. It's a great verse. Thank you. Someone else, what was going through your head? Um, the idea that that well done, my good and faithful servant is for now, not just for the future, mm. I think is pretty amazing. It's not something I thought about before because you always associate that verse with, well, it's what we look forward to in heaven. But mm. actually, it can't actually be that way. Thank you. Anybody else? What would we pray in the light of what you've been hearing and thinking? What would, what would you want us to pray as a whole? Not just for yourself, but what would you want to pray? What would we ask God? To, to, to know how God sees us, to hear that over our own lives. What else might we pray? Yeah, not just to our heads. It's, that's the thing, isn't it? It's, it can it get from our heads into our hearts. That's the crucial thing. What else? Yeah, that we feel worthy. That, that sense of, that you'd hear that voice over you and um, not rejected. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you grow when somebody encourages you. And one of the best things you can do for someone else is to tell them that you were giving thanks to God for them. That they're a gift of God. Which is what Paul says about his own story. These churches, they start to thank God. I'm going to ask the musicians to come back for a moment. And what we're going to do is we're just going to... We're blessed with these folks. They do a fantastic job for us. And um, what I'm going to ask is that they just play for a bit. Not that we sing necessarily right now, but they just play. And uh, we've got time this morning um, for ourselves, really, just for, for, to have enough space to, uh, to let God do some stuff. Um, for those of you who might want to, you might want to kneel uh, in front of you. There'll be a kneeler, a little cushion. <laughs> and some of you might actually go, do you know what? That would be a good idea. For some of you, you might just want to stand. And for others of you, sitting's just fine. But what I'm asking is that as they play, and I'll pray to begin, and then we'll just leave space. It's an active waiting what I mean by that is, sometimes when you're in church, there's a passive thing. It's like, <sighs> we're not going to finish. And that's kind of like passively waiting, I guess, just for them to finish. 
And there's an active waiting that says, okay, Lord, here I am. This will go for about five or ten minutes, so it's not going to be long. And for some of you, it'll be the only time you're really still in a whole week. Because the rest of your time, even your prayer time, is you'll be coming to God and asking for stuff and worrying before him and offering him stuff. This is just a time where you sit or stand or kneel. And in part, it's what Lorna was saying. It's taking the truth and allowing it to change your heart that will then change your action. Father God, here we are. Brothers and sisters who own up to the same fears, the same temptations, the same things that limit us. There's not a one of us in the room, Lord, that doesn't know the feeling of looking over our shoulder, wondering whether, it sounds pathetic, but whether we're good enough. Sometimes we wonder it of each other and sometimes we wonder it of those that we work with, what they think of us and we worry about that. And sometimes we worry about what you think of us. But Lord, here we are, brothers and sisters, part of the family. And we quieten our hearts. Lord, let the truth of Scripture burn deep in our hearts. Not just in our heads, but in our hearts. The love you have for us. The praise that you lavish upon us. The love you lavish upon us. Come, Holy Spirit. I pray particularly perhaps for the dry and parched hearts longing for a word of affirmation Father God may they particularly hear you come Holy Spirit we pray